We, we are in a series called All to Jesus, going through Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. Let's stand and let's read these verses uh, together. They're on the screen. All right, yeah. Ready, go. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And this is the word of the Lord. Hmm. Have a seat. <clears throat> Today, we will look at a half of verse 10 in Romans 12 which Paul says, love each other with mutual affection. A number of years ago, I was riding in the front seat of a car. My Buddhist minimalist friend was driving, and in the back seat was my Democrat friend, social worker. He asked me, kind of all of a sudden, if I believed that Jesus was the only way to God. Up until that point, we had been working alongside each other for an organization called Family Relief Nursery, advocating for vulnerable children. Um, and we had been advocating at the state capitol, as a matter of fact, and we felt really good about what we were doing. But now the question in the middle of the car, and you've been in a moment like this, and it felt like the relationship might change from something positive to now something is between us. It is incredibly vulnerable to risk our deeper thoughts to people who may not share our convictions or understand our point of view. I felt that fear in that moment. Have you been in a moment like that? But I answered honestly. And surprisingly, they accepted me and loved me and honored me. I have genu genuine affection for those people and they to me. Their positive response towards me felt like a miracle. And I think it felt like a miracle because I have felt less safe among Christians to share thoughts and perspectives that are different from what I or they perceive to be the status quo. It was the non-Christian that surprised me. Hmm. You might be able to relate. <laughs> I think we all know 
maybe particularly in this season with so much change happening within our culture and so many divides being made, we know what it is like to feel afraid that our convictions, our thoughts, our perspectives won't be respected or might be used to divide us from others. Worse than being disrespected, we're concerned that our Christian brothers and sisters would dismiss us or devalue us over a difference of opinion. I've talked with many of you over the last few weeks, and many of you are reporting that very story. Over and over again, I'm hearing a similar refrain that you or others that you know are being harshly judged by other Christians because of how you or they are navigating this very complex world that we are living in right now. The fact is we are living through incredible change and that's not going away. There's no, there's no end to this change season. The world is indeed changing. So we need more than ever to lean into the scriptures. The scriptures that teach us how to posture ourselves when so much wants to divide us. Now, the scriptures, we've said this before and I want to continue to remind you. The scriptures are not pointed to the world at large, like all of them out there somewhere, but rather the scriptures have an inside voice talking to the people of God first and foremost. And so the scriptures come to us with critique, with contradiction to the way that we tend to live our lives in order that we might correctly demonstrate God's love to the world. They are directed towards us, the church. And in the church, we have the means to walk out the high calling of God among us. Now, I think that God knew that we in the church might struggle a lot. We would struggle because his vision for what the church is, is incredibly, it's, a, it's a, such a big vision. The vision that any person of any nationality creed, any person of any, of any race or background, any person, no matter what they have done in their past, all people could be welcomed into this community that would actually do life together and would actually be together and would actually figure out, do you, do you feel how, what a big vision that is? He knew that we would struggle. So he's given us the scriptures with invitations, with commands, with reminders so that we might live postured towards one another in such a way that achieves God's big vision for us. Hmm. Yeah. Well, remember a couple of weeks ago, we, we introduced this idea that our postures of love must be greater than the issues. How we posture ourselves towards one another is greater than the issues in the world that affect us. And what I see often happening is the issues are the most important thing. And hopefully, if we can agree on the issues, then we can love each other. It's got to be opposite. You hear what I'm saying? Okay. So just a few words from Romans 12.10. Love each other with mutual affection. And kids, you're going to hear the family language come in here in just a moment. So over the last couple of weeks, uh, we have laid out (laughs) the context for... Uh, the book of Romans, which was a letter written from Paul to the church in, in Rome. And uh, likely this letter would have been read to them. And 
Um, originally, it may have been, many scholars believe that it was read to them by Phoebe. Romans 16 verses 1 through 2 mentions this woman, Phoebe, who was a well-respected pastor, leader, apostle among them. And it's likely she carried the letter to Rome on behalf of Paul and read it to them. So we need to imagine that Phoebe is reading the letter to us this morning. And, uh, you know, as they gathered to listen to her read, they were a diverse bunch. They were, just, they were struggling, just like us, with togetherness and unity because of their stark differences. The Gentile Christians looked down upon the Jewish Christians, and the Jewish Christians looked down on the Gentile Christians. And as Phoebe would have unrolled the scroll to read the letter for Paul, they probably were sitting apart from one another. The Gentile Christians over there, all superior-like. The Jewish Christians over here, all superior-like. Really just maybe tolerating each other, but really hoping that they could just do away with each other. And Paul had something to say about that. When Paul or when Phoebe finally would have gotten to, you know, chapter 12, as we now call it, chapter 12, they may have been squirming because Paul has been setting up this huge argument. Basically, God and Christ has done so much uh, for you and the Jews have their thing and the Gentiles have their things, but we are going to be one in Christ. That's the big idea that he's going through all Romans. So they would have been squirming. They know where it's going, but Paul's not going to let them off the hook. He's going to get very particular. And that's what he's going to do with us this morning, too. <laughs> Paul begins this section by asking them to offer their bodies as living sacrifices. The Gentiles over here, the Jews over here, sitting apart. And he's asking them, this is not a doctrinal belief that will unify you, but actually how you live together, how you are with one another, how you treat, how you respond to one another, to offer it all as a living sacrifice for, as Romans 12, 2 says, this is your spiritual act of worship to let our minds be transformed by this kind of love. It is simple to sacrifice other things, a little bit of time, a little bit of money. But Paul says, God wants it all. He wants to throw us all together, sacrificing together so that we represent this big vision to the rest of the world. Somebody say amen. amen. For Romans 12, 3 says, and this is a good context point for this, these particular verses we're studying. Romans 12, 3, it's on the screen. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, <laughs> but to think of yourself with sober judgment. Can you imagine Phoebe? You know, she's, she's, <laughs> she's reading. For by the grace given to me, I say that everyone, you know, looking over here and over here, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought. Oh man, she may have been noting the squirms. I mean, in our context, it might be like, we have conservatives and liberals here. And, and Paul would say, Jesus would say, the spirit would say, God would say, I would say, <laughs> do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. <sighs> Squirm. But, but what, you know? <laughs> Phoebe, I mean, I kind of, I, I imagine she had like glasses, you know, she would peer over, you know, like... They thought very highly of themselves. Are, are we dissimilar? No. A few lines later, she read Paul's words 
love each other with mutual affection. Hmm. Love each other with mutual affection. The New American Standard renders this phrase, love or be devoted to one another in brotherly love, in sibling love, brotherly love. Paul is calling us into sibling relationship into deeper, powerful family type relationship. And we have an idea of family in our culture, but in that culture, as Paul is using this potent language of family, it is much more dimensional than what we mean by brother or sister. Chris Bowlby pointed this out this week, that in that day, your sibling relationship was more powerful and important in priority over your marriage relationship. Which... Jesus calls us into that when he says, you know, like, hey, Jesus, your family's over here. And he says, who are my mother or brothers except for those who do the will of God? Which would have been like, what are you talking about? Messing with the cultural status quo of the day. Paul is purposely using this kind of language to evoke an imagination that we need to have deep affection and love that transcends our typical way of connecting with one another that breaks through all those things that want to divide us. Sibling kind of love. Now, one of the, as I was thinking about this week, one of the powerful things that family love um, consists of is that everyone in the family has a shared experience and also a very unique experience within the shared Experience. So, for example, I grew up um, a lot of my life in Cresswell, Oregon, and uh, yeah, you've never heard of it. It's, I mean, but you've probably driven right through it, yeah. And uh, um, and so, when my siblings and I talk about Cresswell, we talk about the shared experience, and we all know kind of what was happening and who was around and what was going on at that time. But also, if we listen to one another, there is a very unique experience that each person has in the midst of the shared experience. That's powerful. That's powerful. I, I thought of it like this. It's kind of like a house has floorboards and everybody experiences the floorboards of the house. That's just everybody's on the floorboards. But how everybody experiences the floorboards are different. Some leap off the floorboards with exaltations of joy and happiness. Others hit the floorboards on their knees in despair and sadness. That is what a family love is like, that we have the shared experience and then we have these very powerful, unique experiences. Paul is calling for us to kind of have the kind of love in which we would all share something in common. Jesus Christ being the floorboard of the house that we're building. Jesus Christ that we push everything off of. Jesus Christ that we fall into when we're in pain. Jesus Christ that we leap off of when we are in joy. And then in all the particular experiences, we can share that with one another with deep and profound joy. Family ties that Paul is calling us into, mutual affection, brotherly, sisterly love, sibling love is deep and mysterious and profound. Paul is advocating for this. Phoebe was reading this. Develop this kind of love, mutual affection for one another. Okay, so... As I stir the vision for that, I think most people are like, cool, yes, I want that. But how? <laughs> but how do we do it? I want to take the remainder of our time this morning to talk about two postures that we can learn to take that will engender this kind of brotherly, sisterly love, this kind of mutual affection for each other. Two tools, two things that you can go away with something to do. Are you ready? Okay. 
Two of them are, first one is commitment. This is a tool of love. This is an act of the will to be committed. We'll unpack that a little bit more. The second posture of love, empathy. Hmm. We'll talk about both of these. And I would bet during the series, we're going to come back to these and continue to expand our understanding and our practice of both of these postures. First of all, commitment. So imagine Phoebe is with us right now. She's peering over the page. She's wondering if we will love each other genuinely with mutual affection. She's hopeful that this community that was birthed by Jesus Christ, this wasn't birthed for someone who had a grand idea for a 50C13 or 501C3, a nonprofit. What What can we bring some good to the world? This church, New Hope Forest Grove, was Jesus' idea. And she, and, and she would be wondering, are they going to live up to the vision that Jesus planted? As God has embraced each person that is here. I mean, Paul, Phoebe, imagine they're standing on the stage. They're quite aware of what Jesus has done for you and I. I would, would we live into that and then echo that and express that and witness and testify to it? Starts with commitment. God was committed to us when we did not deserve to be committed to, but he's committed so in this season of turmoil, I've, I've noticed how much I long for stability. Anybody else? Like something like, okay, yeah. Something that is just normal, something you'd be counted on, depended on, you know. Uh, like we're going to go, some of you are going to watch home and watch football today. It just feels like something normal, you know. It's like, this, yeah. So the staff, we planned Christmas this last week, got things on the calendar. We got our Christmas carol sing coming up. We got our Christmas Eve services. We got a youth Christmas party and other festivities. We're going to invite you to help us decorate the church. And oh, we just want some, some, some dependable trust trustworthy things that we can feel the safety of togetherness and of certainty. And I think Christmas is going to help us to experience that. We need to forge trust among ourselves by being able to depend on and count on each other. We must forge trust upon our, uh, forge trust among ourselves by doing this. You ready? Refusing to threaten each other with absence. I'll say it again, refusing to threaten each other with absence. Loyalty should be the hallmark of Christian community. Maybe it isn't just Phoebe who's asking this difficult question. Perhaps Jesus is watching his bride, the church, you and me, and wondering if we will enact this kind of deeper love, of commitment, solidarity, Loyalty, words that we don't like very much. Apart from cases of spiritual abuse or heresy, immorality, we must assume commitment and loyalty among each other. We must. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor, theologian from Germany, who was martyred by the Nazis um, towards the end of World War II, He advocates that one of the gifts of Christian community is that we are disappointed by it. (laughs) That our idealisms and our wishfulness about what it could be are immediately um, disappointing. And in that mutual disappointment, all of us being disappointed with each other, (laughs) we find the grace of God among ourselves and we are all in disappointment pointed towards God and then he can weave something beautiful together out of the hot mess that we are. He says this in a book he wrote called Life Together, which is his reflections on the community of God together. 
He says, on innumerable occasions, a whole Christian community has been shattered because it has lived on the basis of a wishful image. An, an, an image, a, a, an icon that is unattainable. And in our culture, a culture of deep and profound trust, a culture that does not have good traditions, a culture that teaches you that you making the best choice for you is the most important thing to do in the world. We've lost a sense of fidelity and commitment, and it's very difficult. We in our culture often feel far too free to unchoose our church family. We think that we chose it when in fact God has given it to us. It is within our power to refuse to leave one another. It is in our power to be devoted to one another through thick and thin, like blood family, you know? Because actually we are blood family. Jesus Christ's blood cleanses us and clothes us with righteousness so that among one another, we are gathering of sinners, but also we are gathering of saints. The person that bothers you, the person who comes with the policies that you don't agree is in fact your brother and your sister and a fellow saint of God that you are called to join in with, to see each other through the purifying lens of Jesus' blood so that we can forever and always continually embrace one another just as God in Christ has embraced us. Amen. Underline, bold, all caps. <laughs> there we go. In a world of disloyalty, that's the world we're living in, it's tough going. Commitment is primarily an act of the will and we will have to step through it because there's another desire in us to reject to isolate ourselves and to stay away from anyone who threatens our sense of rightness. To stay away, we are tempted to stay away from anyone who threatens our sense of rightness. The Bible would call that pride. And one of the outworkings of pride is isolation. Adam and Eve experienced it in the garden. They chose pride and they were isolated away from the communion they had with God. Overcoming pride is by staying connected with God's families given to you and I. The floorboards. <laughs> I wrote this. Be as mundane. This is our, my encouragement to you. Be as mundane and predictable and consistent as the floorboards of the house. And yes, if you choose to be a floorboard in the kingdom of God, you will get walked on. You will get walked on. Jesus was walked on but also a floorboard will experience being able to weep with those who hit the floor in grief, be able to rejoice with those who leap off the floorboard with exaltation as there's breakthrough with their family. Somebody they've been praying for comes to know the good news of Jesus Christ. A parent or a child is baptized into the family of God and you get to rejoice because you've been a floorboard. You've been consistent. You've been present. So that's skill number one. I'm sure we'll come back to it. We need to develop this and practice it. Um, I have better news. I think this next one is a little bit more fun. At least it is for me. I want to invite you all to learn the second posture of love, empathy. This posture of love, if practiced and honed, 
will increase your affection for everyone around you. Paul says to love each other with mutual affection. How do you build affection? This skill of empathy that I want to talk about this morning, I think will help you build felt affection. And when you feel affection, you are more likely to stay committed because you feel like it. Are you with me? So this will help the the commitment to work together. And I'll say at the end how these Go hand in hand. Okay, posture number two, empathy. Hearing others' experience and understanding it. Okay, so right now, everybody's experiencing change. You, you might know this, that uh, 75% of people in Great Britain over the last 18 months have reconsidered their whole life. They're reevaluating their whole life. One in five people who live in cities in Australia right now are considering moving to the country. And we know this is happening around us too. I have lived in Oregon my whole life. No one ever moved to Idaho when I was really young, but now many people are moving to Idaho or to Arizona or they're moving to South Dakota, right? You're with me. People are coming and going and people are changing jobs for a variety of reasons. There's being pressure put on people as they're moving or they're reconsidering their life. They're changing jobs and everything. Did you know that Prince Harry and Princess Meghan? Thank you have also gone through a job change and a geographical location. They renounced their royal positions and moved to Hollywood to try to make it big in Los Angeles. Now, many of you are experiencing relocations. Many of you are experiencing job changes. Can you imagine sitting down with Prince Harry and talking about your job change? talking about your relocation. And, you know, he says something like, oh, yes, I know precisely what you mean. And isn't it a drag? (laughs) One of these things is not like the other. Right, that is not empathy. That might be what we would call sympathy, which we may unpack this later. Won't get too much into that today. Empathy is a skill that drives connection between two people, even if they have vastly different experiences. Actually, somebody powerful that seems so unrelatable to our lives, like Prince Harry, could employ the skill of empathy and you would feel understood by him. That is the power of what empathy is. And now, and in the weeks to come, I want to help you understand what empathy is. Here's a definition, a working definition that helps us out of a book called The EQ Edge. Empathy is the ability to be aware of, to understand, and to appreciate the feelings and thoughts of others. Empathy is tuning in or being sensitive to what, how, and why people feel and think the way they do. I think in this world, we need more empathy because people are baffling, aren't they? I mean, just like, what? Okay, why Why would they do that? Okay, that's empathy. Now, this is not just like a, you know, like a pop culture kind of idea. You hear empathy being talked about, but really this is what God in Christ has done with us. This is what Jesus did. The scriptures say that he lowered himself. I mean, like God himself came in the form of a, of a human baby, and he humbled himself even to the point of a slave. And he died a sinner's death for you and I. It's because of God's love that Jesus came in an empathic act to come and be on our level. And I don't mean be on our level on our good day. I mean to be on our level at our worst day. And when Jesus came into human history, And God himself was incarnated into human history. Humanity was on one of its worst days. 
Crucifixions were not just Jesus and the two criminals next to him. Crucifixions were ubiquitous across the Roman Empire because they were trying to enforce their way of peace upon the rest of the world. And it was, it was I mean, just atrocious to think what was happening in the name of peace. That's when God came on our worst day to come and to be among us. Jesus practiced empathy. Matthew 9, 36, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. John 3, 17 says that Jesus did not come to judge the world, but to save it. When he saw the confused crowds, which by the way, can we just, the crowds are confused right now. He had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then it was those confused crowds that Jesus walked to. And it was those confused crowds that Jesus stooped to. And it was those confused crowds who on one hand exalted him and then a week later brutally crucified. Jesus walked with compassion all the way to the cross as the crowds were confused. He never changed. He never he never chose now to judge and just to wipe them out and make them all just think the way he does. But rather he showed God's empathy and compassion to the very end. It is God who is first empathic with us, meeting us on our level. And then it is God who through the scriptures says to love each other with mutual affection and gender among one another connection and love and long listening ears as you go through the difficulties of this world. Uh, author, speaker, um, researcher Brene Brown has a great perspective on empathy. Uh, take a look and then I'll come wrap this up. So what is empathy and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's a, it, very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions where empathy is relevant and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. <laughs> Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, and climb down. I know what it's like down here. And you're not alone. Sympathy is... Ooh, it's bad, uh-huh. Uh, no, you want a sandwich? Um, empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice, because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So 
I had a miscarriage. Oh, at least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. <laughs> John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. Hmm. It's very good. With all of the convulsions and difficulties in our world right now, people are feeling more and more like they're in deep holes. And when somebody climbs down that hole to be with them, they're scared. They're jumpy and may want to retreat into the cave in the cave. <laughs> because so much judgment and critique is being thrown. So much condemnation. So much unlove. A synonym for unlove? Hate. Whew. We're to hate what is evil and not return evil for evil, but to overcome evil with good, as we'll continue to learn about. The question is posed to us, you and I. Will we choose to take on these postures of empathy? Will we love with mutual affection? Will we give each other in the body of Christ the relational space to work out our own different experiences as we all share the experience of living in this world and being a part of this church as we go through it. Owen and I were in New York City uh, this summer and it was hot and it was humid, so we decided to take a bit of a break. And so we found our way uh, to Herald Square off of 34th Street uh, near the Empire State Building. And we were sitting down, and it was like a shady little corner intersection area, and there's tables and there was shade there. And we sat down and we drank some water and we're eating some food. And an older man sat down uh, right next to us while we were there. And just as we were giving up, getting up to leave, the older man started talking to me. His name is Silvano. He immigrated from Sicily in 1974. And I was like, I am having a magical New York minute right now. This just feels so New York. But then it got pretty serious pretty quick. He said to me, would you believe it? I slapped my daughter. She called the police on me. In Sicily, nobody called the police for that. She never talked to me no more. What did I do? God is punishing me? For what? In that moment, I decided to express empathy. You guys may not know this, but I am not in charge of the whole universe. I disagree with him hitting his daughter. But did I need to sort out the cultural differences? In that moment, did I need to make the grand stand for rightness? Or did a homeless man need connection? I couldn't fix it. And nor should I further his condemnation. For every day he lives is a condemnation to himself. So I listened. I stayed present. I offered no theological statement around whether God was punishing him or not. I did not quote to him Galatians saying sowing and reaping. I did no such thing. Instead, I took on the posture of love and presence. The posture that Jesus takes before me 
Me who is guilty. Me who lives in the result of my own sin. Me who wants to voice complaint rather than utter humility. Jesus is with me and he loves me and he invites me to emulate him in my postures towards other, others so that they have the safety and the freedom to experience the audacious embrace of God, not up here, but in here and in the very guts of who they are. That's what empathy can do. And when we practice empathy, when we learn empathy, we start to develop the very affection that God has for, towards us. This is the power of the skill of empathy. Empathy is not a feeling. Empathy is a choice, and it's a skill. And I think we'll continue to learn more about it. Christian psychologist Dr. Kurt Thompson reflecting on the power of empathy in a brilliant book called The Anatomy of the Soul. If you're in the field of psychology and you're a Christian, this is a must read. It helps to understand the biological realities of the New Testament. That's pretty much what it is. It's powerful. He says this, I believe that our lives will be abundant, joyful, and peaceful only to the degree that we are engaged, known, and understood by one another. Oh, how much we need this. The divisions of the world continue to divide us against each other. You know that's true. And as a result, we tend to slink further and further into isolation. We are each like Silvano, needing someone to connect with, wondering if we can be accepted for who we are. Folks, that's the very job of the body of Christ. And it must start among us before we can get more of us in us. <laughs> I like what Shel Silverstein says. I uh, love Shel's writings and his poetry. He says, underneath my outside face, there's a face that none can see, a little less smiley, a little less sure, but a whole lot more like me. I hope that because of the work of Jesus in each one of us, we are able to accept the real people around us and among us. I hope that facades continue to drop and we find ourselves accepted by others because God and Christ has accepted me and he's accepted you. Commitment and empathy go hand in hand. It has to start with commitment, which says, I am with you. I will not leave you. I will not threaten you with my absence. Empathy, which says, and I will seek to understand you to value you, to see life from your perspective, to validate your experience with this wacky world so that together we experience the love of God. Love each other with mutual affection. This is what Paul and the New Testament scriptures are getting at. It's all about connection in God. Somebody say amen to that. Okay. Well, this morning, the worship team is going to join us up here. And as we are doing it each week, we are receiving communion together because it's the work of God in Christ that even emboldens someone like me to, to continue to cast this vision for God uniting us together. It's because of his work, not our grand idea. So Donnie and I, this is the way it's going to work this morning. As we receive communion, um, Donnie's going to be over here. I'm going to be over here. We're going to have a, a, a tray of the communion elements, and we're going to invite you to come and receive those communion elements. And we will say a blessing over you, uh, you, my sister in Christ, you, my brother in Christ. 
and you will receive those elements. It's Christ's work that join us together as sisters and brothers uh, in Christ. Families, you have communion elements at your table, but we invite you to come with your children and get those elements if you, if you so desire. Um, we haven't done this in a while, so um, it might get a little chaotic. So here's what we're asking. If you would come down the middle three aisles to the front, and then if you would go down the outside aisles back to your seat, I think that would be the best way uh, to do it. And again, I'll be over here and Donnie will be over here. And it's both the same. One of us doesn't have one thing that the other doesn't have. It's just two ways to receive communion. And we'll speak that blessing uh, over you. All are welcome to take communion. Um, this is not a, you don't have to be a member here or be baptized here. If you are trusting um, God through Jesus Christ, feel free to receive communion. Hmm. And as we are doing each week, we're saying a prayer of confession, going into communion. Would you stand with me? We'll say this prayer together and then receive uh, communion together. Ready, go. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O oh Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent according to your promises declared to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O oh most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of your holy name. Amen.